Well, hello, everybody. I see we've all made it through, well, the bulk of summer anyway. You all, I think Pacific Northwest got a very little summer. Uh, but here on the East Coast, we have a major, major summer. Lots of heat, lots of humidity, and lots of drought. But now that we've made it this far, I want to continue talking about what we were talking about last month. And that's with gardening with the spiritual energy of your, pl- of your garden and your plants. So last month, we really did talk a lot about kind of the philosophy and um, being aware that everything is composed of energy. And really, when we work with this type of energy or this type of gardening um, techniques, we're really trying to begin to attune ourselves to the plants, to the garden, to the oversoul or the egregoric energy of your garden. Um, and of course, if we remember, the egregoric energy is the energy that's been created because you created it. It's your energy that you put into it over and over and over and over and over. So it's kind of a grid opportunity now to take this a little bit further. Now, I want to kind of preface all of this by saying you may have questions on some of the things we're talking about, and I completely get that. I'm going to try to think of all the questions that one could possibly ask, but obviously I can't think of all of them. So I want to remember, I want to remind you to be sure to drop me a line at askantony at outlook.com when you have specific questions, because that way you and I can begin a dialogue on how to how to do some of these things, and I can clarify um, definitions or words or phrases that you may or may not understand. So with all of that said, let's remember, everything is composed of energy, and that is a basic physics 101. What makes your coffee table a table, what makes your fruit a f- some fruit, what makes you you is the rate of vibration. So... Well, the first thing I like to do when I'm going into my gardening is I like to begin with a very small meditation that I refer to as attuning myself with the earth and with the garden. Now, when we do this, this is not a big deal. Uh, As I talk about it, it'll probably take far longer to talk about this than it actually takes to do it. So with that said, This is a good opportunity to pause and for you to go grab yourself a pad and paper because this is going to be something I really do want you to write down and I want you to keep this. This can only serve for the better and believe it or not, I have yet to meet anybody who has said I got nothing from it. Every person I've ever met has gotten something from this. So now that I've babbled on so that you could go get a uh, pad and paper, Let's begin attuning ourselves. What I'd like for you to do is to stand outdoors in your garden and take your shoes off. Let's have your feet connect with the earth. And let's let's stand with our feet shoulder length apart. And close your eyes and begin breathing nice and deeply. Feeling that nice, clean air from your garden. Enter your whole body and just Fill your body up. And as you do so, 
remember that what you're taking in is the energy of the garden, the energy of the air, and the energy of the universe. As you're beginning to breathe, I want you to locate your point of consciousness. Your point of consciousness is that part in your mind that is thinking. As you begin to move uh, to locate that, I want you to focus on it sharply. And as you do, I want you to turn that into a pinpoint. As you turn that into a pinpoint, I want you to begin gently moving it around in your mind. Very gently. And then allow that pinpoint of consciousness to go from your mind down behind your eyes, behind your throat. Let it rest in your shoulder or your decollete area, your upper chest. Let it rest there for a moment. And then let's continue our journey by pushing that consciousness further down through your chest to your stomach, to your pelvic area. Again, let's let it rest there for just a second. Now let's continue the journey. Let's push that pinpoint of consciousness further down through your body, through your legs, your thighs, your knees, your calves, the top of your feet. And now I want you to let it go a little bit further and go just beneath your feet. I want you to rest there for a second. I want you, I want your consciousness to look around. I would like for you to see the bottom of your feet and the grass or the earth that you're on. Now I want you to push your consciousness down into the earth, down deeper and deeper and deeper until you can go no further. I want you to feel the pulsating energy of the earth. Allow that to become a tangible feeling. Now, very, very slowly, with your arms currently at your side, I want you to very slowly begin rising your arms. And as you do so, I want you to bring that pinpoint of consciousness up. And with it, I want you to take all the energy that's been pulsating of the earth. Pull it up very slowly into your body, first your feet, and then your calves, your knees, your thighs, your pelvic and your buttocks, your stomach, your chest. With your arms almost completely fully raised up, let that energy engulf your neck, your head. Clasp your hands on to- uh, above your head and allow yourself to be completely immersed in the earth's energy. 
Now I want you to very slowly begin lowering your arms. And as you do so, return all that energy and only leave the residual behind. So as we lower our hands, the energy is coming back down through us, through the crown of our heads and our heads to our throat, to our chest, to our stomachs, to our pelvic, thighs, knees, arms almost completely at your side, calves, feet, arms now at your side, and allow that energy to return back to the earth. And remember, you just want to keep residual energy. The earth's energy is extremely potent. I have had people who have tried to hold on to this energy. It, they, were, they didn't get a lot of sleep for a few days. Just going to throw it out there, folks. So what you have done is you have now attuned yourself to the energy of exactly where you're at. Now, I want to give a bit of a cautionary tale of you do not want to do this in an area that you are not 100% familiar with. When I lived in Seattle and in Bellingham, I had a friend of mine who had just moved there who was enamored with the beauty of the Pacific Northwest, who wouldn't be, and they went out into the Cascades and did this. Um, it made them ill. It made them throw up. So the earth said, the energy of your garden is energy that you yourself have created with the earth itself. The energy up in the mountains is 100% wild and Mother Nature at her finest. So let's not go into other areas and do this. This is a private um, exercise. And it's one that it's a gift that I want to give to you because it's extremely potent. It's a very powerful, uh, quick meditation. And I think ultimately it's going to open every single person up to the energies of their garden and the energies of plants. Now you're ready to begin gardening. So one thing I want, I like to let people know is that I like when I approach my garden, I prefer to approach my garden in joy and in love. Remember, everything that we are creating, we're creating because it's beautiful, because it's therapeutic for us. And frankly speaking, it's our way of giving back to the earth. So we want to really, really, really tune in and take our best joy, our deepest love, our most sincere and deepest gratitude, and that's the energy we want to come out our gardening with. Now, I've had a lot of people say or have asked me, as a matter of fact, I, have, I had a question in Ask Anthony at Outlook um, from Zoe, who asked, what if I'm in a really, really bad mood? Should I not garden? Zoe, you should garden. However, what I'm going to encourage you to do would be to concentrate on all that negative energy. Put your hands in the earth 
and let all that negative energy go into the earth. The earth has a way of canceling out our negativity. The earth's just slightly larger than you and I are. So when if I ever come out my garden and I'm not in the very best mood or I feel angry or I feel frustrated, then I've, I've got a little patch of earth that is just a tiny little patch of earth. Nobody ever sees it that I will go kneel down. I'll put my hands in the earth and I will close my eyes and I will see all that negativity go back into the earth so that mother nature or mother earth can take that energy and she can transmute it back into a neutral energy or a positive energy. So we really, really do want to approach our garden with absolute love. Another thing that you might want to think about is to approach your garden with absolute wonder and amazement. My grandmother, when I was younger, used to always talk about looking at the world through childlike eyes. She always kind of, kind of envied young kids because everything a young child sees is like seeing for the very first time. And they're filled with amazement and wonder and awe. Which brings us to a whole other area, because this is a way to even heighten all of your gardening experience. When you look at a plant that you may have seen 7 million times before, and you look at that leaf in an absolute state of awe and wonder and absolute majesty and appreciation and gratitude, that is going to take you on a spiritual level to a whole different level. And that is what we call standing at the threshold. And when we're at any threshold, we certainly have a choice. We can either walk through it or stand there. There's no right or wrong. Walking through it is very good for some people. Standing and looking through is good for others. Although I do suspect that eventually everyone begins to walk through it. Because when you walk through it, Gardening takes on, if you'll pardon the expression, all sorts of different colors, different vibrations, different energies. You become part of that creative process and the give and take of energy or the give and take of, let's say, ideas, the give and take of inspiration comes much further. You begin inspiring nature as nature begins to inspire you. So we really, really want to approach that with absolute joy and wonder and that absolute amazement so that we can begin this give and take. Now, when we have, when this begins, oftentimes people have told me, Anthony, I sometimes feel very overwhelmed and I'm not entirely sure what I'm feeling. That's normal. That is totally, totally normal. The other thing we've got to do is we have to now decide, we have to figure out the language that is being spoken. The language that's spoken, believe it or not, comes from you. Some people are inspired. Some people hear things. Some people, myself included, hear and see. There are so many different ways to understand the language that the energies of plants are putting out. I have one client of mine with whom 
doesn't know a whole lot about working with the spiritual nature of gardens that got caught up in it and didn't know what was going on. Now, he had told me, he said, I did some of my best work when this feeling was going on. But I don't know what that feeling was. I think, and he told me, he said, I think maybe I just got into the flow. Well, you know what? You did. You got into the flow. And that is part of the language that they're going to speak to him. But it's really a matter, everybody's very, very individual. And it's a matter of figuring out the uh, language that they're speaking to you. If you have a propensity as a, uh, to listen, then listen. If you have a propensity as a seer, then open your, open your, your mind's eye and see what they're trying to tell you. These are all super, super, super important because this is the way we begin a dialogue with nature. Nature does not speak English per se. Nature typically likes to speak through symbolism and likes to, if you'll pardon the expression, and I really don't like this term, omens. Oftentimes when I begin gardening, I will oftentimes see three butterflies flying around me. You know, it's interesting when I'm at work, and believe it or not, I do this at all this at work too. And nobody sees it, including my colleagues or my uh, the workers that work for us. But one of the things I enjoy is that I always know when they're really beginning to speak because I see three butterflies. And they're usually flying somewhere very close to me. So they're going to speak to you in different terms. You might hear um, a bird um, in the Pacific Northwest. You might hear a eagle overhead just at that right time. Remember, those are, again, I don't like the term, but it's very apt. Those are omens. Those are omens of good things to come. And that is almost like the earth saying, I get you. I hear you. I know what you're doing. And I think it's awesome. So understanding the, the language is going to be pretty key for each and each and every one of you all. Another thing that I really, really, really want to emphasize is mindfulness. When we garden, we need to be very clear on what we're doing. And I don't mean I've got to plant the daffodils, I've got to plant the pansies, I've got to do this, I have to weed. Mindfulness. Mindfulness, when I take that daffodil from the pot and I gently break up its roots, I'm oftentimes talking to it saying, hey, I know this is uncomfortable, but I have to do this because you're really root bound. And the fact is, is your roots are going to get into the ground and you're going to be so much happier. Now, often if, if I don't want to, I don't verbalize it, but I'm always thinking those things. Oftentimes, I do verbalize it, though. But we definitely want to be mindful that that daffodil has its own spirit. It's important to understand that in the plant kingdom, if you show absolute love for your daffodil that you're planting, you're showing love for every single daffodil on the planet. They're all connected. They're all housed by the same spirits and they're all and to say i love you to one of them is an instantaneous to every single other daffodil so we should be very mindful about 
how we approach each plant, and we should approach it with the deepest of love. Now, I'm going to take a little side um, jaunt here because I have a lot of customer, a lot of uh, clients that say, "I've done that, and the plant died. What did I do wrong? You didn't do anything wrong per se. Keep in mind that gardening is not uh, gardening is a journey, and we're all taking this journey together." And as such, we're all learning together. You know what? The plant kingdom is totally on board with helping us learn. And there are times when plants fail and when they die. The difference between somebody who is a very, what I'd refer to a mundane gardener, and somebody who really looks at those spiritual aspects of gardening, is that a a mundane gardener will just look and pitch it in the... uh, in the compost and not think a thing of it and then plant something else. But the person who really, really looks into that spiritual aspect is going to say, now what happened here? What is this plant trying to teach me? Did I plant it too deep? And if so, what makes it too deep? And why is that too deep? Then you go to some of your plant professionals at various nurseries, whether it be Garden Spot or My Garden, and you ask them, I planted something too deep. You don't have to go into the spiritual aspects. Um, and if you do, go to, um, go to people who you are comfortable with, and they'll probably say, oh, you must be listening to Antony. But go to them and say, I planted something too deep. Why do plants die when they're too deep? Now, just very quickly, let me answer that for you. Plants breathe at the very crown of the stems. When we plant them too deep, we begin to suffocate them. And some plants can take a few years to die. Other plants, particularly if you're having like what we're having, uh, absolute heat, uh, uh, heat wave, they can perish very, very, very quickly. So no matter what the situation is, we do want to look and say, okay, what is this doing? And why did it why did it die? Now let's take that even a step further. If we planted it too deep, is it possible that there are parts in our own lives that may be, and I'm using air quotes here, planted too deep? Are there parts of our lives that perhaps we're not allowing enough air to? We're not allowing them to thrive. I think you're understanding what I'm talking about. We need to take these things and internalize them and say, how does this apply to my life? Because remember, you're developing a symbiotic relationship. You're developing a dialogue and a rapport with nature. And nature, nature's nature is to grow and to thrive. So is yours. Your nature is to grow and to thrive. So why wouldn't we take every opportunity to do that and to join hands with nature and to do that together? So let's go back to mindfulness. When we begin to think about our gardening day, there's a few things that I like to do. I like to wash my hands really well. I like to put on a pair of 
um, comfy clothes that I use primarily for gardening. I like to approach the garden smelling good and ready to go. I don't ever garden when I'm dirty or when I stink or <laughs> you get the you get the impression. I end up that way, but I like to approach it as almost a ritual, if you'll pardon that expression. You know, I like to be nice and tidy because I'm trying to create a nice tidy garden and a beautiful garden. So I'm going to approach it in that manner. I'm going to make sure that all of my plants that I'm, if I'm planting plants, I'm going to make sure that they all are well watered and are happy. They're nice and um, supple and they're erect, not flaccid. And I like to make, I like to get them all set out. Typically when I'm doing a, a heavier planting, I like to set my plants out right by where they're going to go. And as I'm preparing, I know it sounds, there's probably a lot of you who are rolling your eyes at me at this point, but I like to say, okay, fellas, I'm going to be putting you in here. Now I'm putting you in, in here because we have some holes and I think you're going to be absolutely spectacular right there. So this is yet another way to practice mindfulness. Nothing should ever be a given when we're gardening. We should always think th uh, very clearly about what we're doing and how we're doing it. Other things that I like to do that help create that mindfulness is I like to burn incense. I burn them for the spirits of the plants. And a byproduct is, is the world smells a little bit better with uh, some nice incense. Now, I always tell people, careful about the vibration that you're sending out. Various plants carry various vibrations. I typically like to burn something with a very neutral vibration. Nag Champa generally tends to be what I like to what I like to burn. And I typically burn about five sticks at a time. And as I light them, in my mind, I just say, this is for all the spirits of this garden. And I hope you enjoy it. This is my gift to you. Oftentimes, I will also leave out a glass of water or a glass of wine or possibly a glass of milk. When the incense are, are, have burned out and I'm finished gardening, then the milk goes into the garden that I was just working in. So when we talk about mindfulness, we really are talking about every aspect of the gar of how we approach our garden. We're really, really keeping a strong check in our own mind as to what we're doing, how we're doing it, and what is going to be the outcome of this. Now let's go just a little bit further into this. I have a couple of my clients in Bellingham who have actually created a Karen. I've taught them how to do this. For any of you who have had the opportunity to travel through Europe, you will see that there are very, very, very large Karens. Karens are basically a stack of stones that are hollow in the center. They typically have stones coming out in the four cardinal directions. They're aligned to the north, south, east, and west. And what's interesting is for quite some time, they were considered a bit of a mystery. But as they excavated a few of them, they found all sorts of interesting things inside the Karen. 
and they began figuring out what they've used them for. Cairns are said to be a portal between the underworld, which is where the earth energy lies, and to the upper world. So when we build a Karen, we're actually building a doorway into that energy. Now, should you decide to do this, I will recommend that you put it in a very private spot and that you don't tell a lot of people about it because really that Karen is just for you. When I lived in Atlanta and when I was in uh, Washington State, I had a Karen in both areas. I mean, my partner didn't even know it was there. I never told anybody it was there because it was just my area. It is where I could tap in very easily to the Earth's energy, and I could actually begin wielding it as I gardened. Now, should you decide that you would like to build a Karen, I'm going to explain to you how to build it. Again, a good idea to write this down or to, of course, this podcast will be up for about a year on KPNW site. So I typically like to use flagstone and I like them busted up in relatively small pieces and by small pieces, I mean, maybe six inches by a foot. So I like to build up the center of the Karen by doing a dry stack. And then you're slowly kind of making, if you will, a volcano with a opening in the center. And I typically build my Karens clockwise. So what I'm doing is I'm actually lying the stone on top of each other, pyramid style, clockwise. The reason I'm doing it clockwise is because that is the way the sun turns. And that is the way we send, send things further down. So if you think about the way the sun turns um, and the way we go around, we go clockwise. Now, when energy comes up, it comes counterclockwise. So, or when you're sending energy out, you send it counterclockwise. So with all of that said, and that's all uh, getting a, probably a little bit more than you want to know, but we begin building this up really nicely. It can be any size that you want it to be. Typically, I like to make mine three by three. And once I have the main component of it built, then I'm going to take four slabs. And those are going to probably be about two feet long um, by about six inches. And I'm going to line it up with the directions, north, south, east, and west. On the west, I'm going to put a small platform on the end of it. In other words, as the stone protrudes out from the Karen proper, at the end of that will be a platform. That platform we'll talk about in a few minutes. Once I've got these, what I call runways, um, done, then I'm going to actually take some uh, smaller stones and put a circle around the entire thing. Now, that little platform is a great place if you choose and if you develop a really good relationship with those entities and those energies, if you decide at that point that this is really working out and I really, I know they're with me, I feel I've, I'm very happy with how they're, how they're working with me, I'm grateful, that's a great opportunity to, on certain days, burn some incense over there. And we always want to burn from the uh, from the West. It is said in folklore that the we folk, 
in Ireland, which is what we're talking about here, that they will come from the West. They live in the land of the setting sun. So with that said, I oftentimes like to burn a little incense there. I also, on certain nights, will take a white candle and I'll let that burn for them. Now, on certain nights, by really what I mean, are on the solstices and equinoxes, and most definitely on May Eve, so usually April 30th. Now, on the summer solstice, which is June 21st, when people build these, I've all, I always tell people, honestly, on occasion, you're gonna, you might have some phenomenon. I can remember many times that I saw a glow coming from my Karen very late at night. And I thought somebody was out there burning candles or had a flashlight. But as I got closer, that glow disappeared. Now, what's really interesting is that typically when that happens, the next day, you'll have little fairy circles in your in your grass, which are circles of much darker grass than the rest of it. So that's kind of cool, actually. Now, let's talk about feeding your Karen. I love feeding it things like milk, honey. Um, silver is a really, really wonderful thing to feed it. Also, white wine. Incense. Giving things. Now, when we do this, though, we're giving these things out of absolute gratitude. We are so thankful for all the help that they give us, the inspiration that they give us and afford us. We really, really, really begin to develop a very, very, very strong connection. Now, what's really cool is that now you can start planting around it as well. Some of the plants that are really, really sacred to the wee folk are things like silver thyme, rosemary, lavender, those are all things that are just fantastic. And the we folks genu genuinely, genuinely love these things. I also like to take and I like to put things like um, crystals around the Karen. Typically, I put them a little bit more at the west and at the east. When I put things at the east, I'm looking for inspiration, keeping in mind that in many traditions, the east is where things begin or at, well, technically in the Northeast, but the East is when the, is where the rising sun comes. So I will take and put crystals out there and I will ask for specific blessings. And sometimes if I need to let go of things, I'll put them in the West or even in the North. So there's so many ways that you can incorporate your personal and this is not a doctrine you don't have to pick up a book and read about this to become a part of this this all leads me into my very next topic of making this part of your lifestyle when you make gardening part of your lifestyle and part of your life then you become a lot more in tuned and connected with everything in your garden and then it becomes a real powerhouse People will come to your garden and sense something, but they can't quite put their finger on it. Now, I tend to not tell everybody what I've done. People who are close to me, I love talking to them about that because I want to share good things with people. And this is a good thing. 
if people have have the propensity for gardening and you see that and you want to give them a hand, pass all this on because it's a good thing and let them know it is part of my lifestyle. When I had my gardens in Atlanta and in Washington, every day was a part of my garden. Every single day. I would always offer gratitude to the universe and to my garden. To the universe for providing me. To my garden for giving me solace. For giving me a place of respite. For giving me knowledge that oftentimes I wonder how I knew certain things but they just all of a sudden popped in my head. So making these all part of your life and your lifestyle is really, really a potent, potent um, avenue to go down. And if you are open spiritually, then I have a feeling that this will only go to enlighten you, to encourage you, to hopefully... Um, bring you into a whole different consciousness. And then you can pass that on to another generation of gardeners and people who hopefully will be able to say, let's save the earth. Let's revere the earth. Let's revere all of the energies on the earth. Let's not destroy it. Let's not be ugly to one another. Let's help one another. Let's lift each other up. These are so, so important that I really, really um, want, I wanted to share all of this with you. Now, that's going to be what I've got right now. I feel like if you're interested, please feel free to email me at askantony at outlook.com. And this is, you know, I, I, I welcome questions. I want you to... Tell me what's going on in your garden. I want you to tell me what's going on, um, the things that have happened in your garden. Uh, this worked out really well. This didn't. But you know what? I did this thing here, and it, I felt it. I want to hear everything that you have to say. So remember, give me a yell at askantony at outlook.com. I would love to hear from everyone. Now, you, again, are listening to Antony. And you've been listening to me now for a long, long time. And you're able to tune in the first Wednesday of every month for relevant gardening information. And as you've just heard, a little bit more of the unusual gardening techniques right here on KPNWDB. I love your questions and I hope you all have the most wonderful, wonderful time. Thank you and good night.